Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. Good morning to New Haven Mayor Tony Harp. Who makes New Haven tick more than Tony Harp? She's right here in the studio for her regular Monday morning check, Mayor Monday checkup on what she and we are up to in the Elm City. Good morning, Mayor Harp. Good morning. It's great to see you. Good to see you. Uh, Glad you're feeling better. I am. (laughs) (laughs) You can join the conversation by posting a question on our Facebook page. That's the New Haven Independent Facebook page. Or you can be like Bob. Call in at 203-872-7ELM, 203-872-7356. Today's program is made possible in part thanks to support from Birch and Moses PC and from Gateway Community College in downtown New Haven. Thanks, Gateway. Thanks, Bertram, and thanks, Mayor Hart, for coming by. It's great to be here. Great way to start the week. And you are busy not only the weekend, but your weekend. Your week starts full steam Monday morning because they already had a meeting on Puerto Rico, didn't they? The, oh, yeah. The representative, Rosa DeLauro, was in City Hall this morning because yeah. she's been fighting for money to... Um, boy, every day you read something new about Puerto Rico, it just blows your mind about since Hurricane Maria that that person, they, that company they gave millions and millions of dollars to ended up not giving food to anybody. Yeah, it's terrible. And so what, what's the latest um, with the working group or what she had? Well, uh, one of the things that she wanted to um, share was that the new budget that was passed has $89 million for, um, billion, I'm sorry, $89 billion. I was going to say it. that didn't sound like much. Yeah. Especially for, when they give it to companies that don't end up giving food to anybody. I know. Um, for, you know, like the various hurricanes and a, and a large portion of that is going to Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. And so she was here to share um, a breakdown of all the um, resources that are going to be going into Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. And um, it sounds really good because there are programs that are are really important besides just what you know they need, which is money to fix their electrical grid. So there is money to do that um, in the budget, but there's also money for Medicaid and I believe that they're getting 100% reimbursement. Okay. Uh, which is really good because they were getting the lowest reimbursement possible in Medicaid. They were just getting 45%. And we're a rich state and we get 50. Um, and during the Obama administration, we were getting more uh, because of the Affordable Care Act. And I believe we still might be up to about 90. That hasn't changed. Um, and also um, Head Start. She was really excited about the fact that there would be Head Start dollars. There's more for food. Um, in Puerto Rico? or in, in Puerto Rico. And yeah, it's, it's across the board, but specifically for those hit by the hurricanes and the storms. And you know what? The two reasons I guess this is such a big deal right now is that unlike with the big storms in Texas, for instance, and in the South, otherwise, we did not really clean up Puerto Rico. They people were there still having no electricity in their hospitals, no medicine. Right. Um, and, and for months and we, they were told they should have just stopped complaining and just taking care of stuff right away. And so I guess, and also the second reason just more parochially is we've had a lot of people move here. Do we have any updated numbers on how many people? You know, I, uh, the last numbers I heard were, uh, uh 200 who were uh, families, families, um, have moved to new Haven from Puerto Rico. Um, since and story. some of it, and you know, because some of the discussion was, some of them uh, are actually going to be going back to Puerto Rico. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and so there was some discussion about that. There, they some were supposed to go back around January fourteenth. Stuff was still devastated. Over and there. stuff was still devastated, but FEMA stopped paying, and the state of Connecticut started paying. We got to thank Representative Candel- Candelaria um, for the work that he did to get the state to pick that up until. February 14th, these people may um, have to go back on the 14th. And the real problem is that some of them uh, received medical care while while they were here. And um, there was an example given of a a little girl that is on an an electric wheelchair. Her house has, um, um, it, it has a tarp, a blue tarp on the roof. And it has electricity, but it's generated, and it can't generate enough electricity. In Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico. So they, they, if, if they go back, her life is threatened. So um, one of the things that the group is trying to do, we know they meet every Monday here. Yeah, you've in had New a Haven. working group under right. Rick Fontana, emergency um, operations chief. Right. right. So, so 
all of the folks who are on that committee are trying to figure out, well, what do we do with the people who absolutely need to stay here for their health? Um, the people, uh, FEMA is allowing others to stay until March 20th, but not this group that was supposed to leave. Now, why would you have 14th. to go back? Aren't you free to stay wherever you want? Well, but you don't get the support service. Oh, I see. A Your services people, get cut off. Right. A lot of people are. Because my sense was the majority of people are going to stay here. I thought it was a lot more than 200. I thought we had like 700 people here when you count all the family members and everything. Well, they might be, but they're not the ones that are staying in the motels. And the oh, I see. Those are people you have up in emergency housing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the other reason is obviously, I know it's obvious to you, but maybe not to all our listeners, we're intricately connected to Puerto Rico as oh, a community. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned state. Uh, Representative Condelario's family came from Puerto Rico. He lost a family member in the hurricane. Right. She died. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of families just have some people here, some people there. So this was our hurricane, too. And, you know, I mean, when you think about the islands in the Caribbean, uh, probably every single island, even those that are not our protectorates, like uh, Puerto Rico <laughs> and the Virgin Islands, they probably have more people in the United States, mainland, uh, who um, are Puerto Rican, um, um, and or Dominican or but you know whatever the island is, then there are actually on the island. And I, I remember seeing a statistic that there were more Amalfitanos, more greater New Haven people descended right. from the town of Amalfi, which is such a beautiful place in Italy, <laughs> than there are people living there. Just uh -huh. as there were more Jews living in New York than Israel. You yeah. know, it's just like yeah, the, the it's, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, it grows and and so. And that's why there is an expectation. You know, we talked about the, the Ansonia flood. <laughs> oh, what was that, 55? Yeah, 55, 54. And then if like Vanessa that. Burns' family come from there? Right, yeah. uh-huh, and the Brooks's uh, oh, really? family came. And that's yes. how a lot of African-American families were relocated to New Haven and became uh, New Haven families. That's right, yeah. And did that hit mostly an African-American part of Ansonia? It, it must have, because... Uh, there aren't that many... Isn't that big a black population in Ansonia? Well, not anymore. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. okay. They live in the lowlands. Was that right, that? yeah. That's so interesting how these catastrophic weather events change demographics. Yes, absolutely. They change communities. That's so interesting. You know, another thing you've been dealing with, scrambling to deal with, Mayor Harp, is the um, crisis at, at Community Action Agency, which yeah. is one of the largest anti-poverty agencies in New Haven. They give out emergency food to people, programs for seniors and kids, weatherization, meaning, mm -hmm. you know, get your house ready for the elements. So for a long time, we know they've been having some trouble with their, you know, keeping their doors open. And then they suddenly closed with no notice last Friday. And without going into tons of detail, they had, their bank took all the money out of their account. They, right. they owed another social service agency, the agency on aging, a lot of money. They had gone to court and got a warrant they took to the bank and just had the money withdrawn. And when the bank saw that, they said, oh boy, we have a line of credit with these people. That might not be secure either. So they took mm -hmm. a whole close to $200,000 out of their bank. But stuff was brewing for a long time. You guys stepped in. I guess you got you, you fast-tracked $45,000 in cash from the city that was owed them for services. They do homeless services for you. They do the warming center. They help people coming out of prison for you mm -hmm. guys. So is that going to keep the doors open today on a limited basis? They we hope me? so, uh, that it will keep it open on a limited basis. I've also been in uh, touch with Commissioner Brimby, and they're working That's on... That's the Department of Social Services. Right. Um, one of the, and, and actually, Rosa, who was here earlier today, is, is involved too, because we, we think that it's illegal um, to take federal funds away. Well, that was the second issue here. So the yeah. bank had a line of credit, but it was based on on uh, deposits that were from the federal money got under the state. I was told that they might not have submitted paperwork to the bank that said it was federal money. Oh, that's a possibility. Well, hopefully, um, I mean, it's such a critical agency that we've got to figure out a way to, um, to, to, to get them up and running. Um, you know, it's right in the middle of the winter. The, the, the work that they do um, to help pay for people's heat and electricity, all of this, is critically important, as well as the work that they do for us on behalf of the homeless. So I'm, I'm really hoping that um, that we can work something out. So uh, when we talk about limited basis, when I spoke to Amos Smith, who runs the agency on Friday, he described it as me as being partially open so that people who need emergency fuel, mm -hmm. heat in the winter, can get it. Right. That's what the state was worried about too. They talked about having people come down from other offices, other community agency, action agencies 
offices from other cities to help do that. But then Amos also said they're going to reconsider, you know, so they're going to try to get through the winter, but that they're not, they're not sure what's going to happen after that, that there's still going to be an agency. Well, I think it's really <laughs> difficult. And one of the things that I, um, one of the things that I would think it, I think it, this whole payment issue is something that ought to be um, reconsidered. And I don't know if the general assembly can, can do it or not. And I know that, the Area Agency on Aging has gone to court to demand the um, the resources. But, you know, it, it they're going to then pay it to the Department of Social Services. So you're kind of in this circular um, experience here. And wouldn't it just make more sense? It's, it's money that was owed prior to the new leadership. Of and the and by we're saying new leadership, we're talking about 11 years. Yeah, more than 11 years ago, people stole money from that agency. And that was the second round of stealing from that agency. That agency had so much corruption. And as far as I know, and maybe I'm wrong, there has not been any corruption or anything like that for 11 years. But it's just very tough to run a social service agency now. And they had these old debts from the money that wasn't spent. And what happened was that the state changed the way in which it delivers the uh, fuel assistance program. And... Uh, removed it from the Department of Social Services into the department to DEEP, I believe, the Department of um, Environment Wasn't and Wasn't that the Energy. weatherization program? I, be- I Well, yes, it's the weatherization program. And the, and the way that the, res- the weatherization program, when it was under the Department of Social Services, my understanding, is that they would actually make money and they would have a float. Right, so that, that was the one program they had. Yeah. Because they're social service agency. So if you get a grant for this, a grant for that, you can spend it only on that. But with right. weatherization, when they go to your house, just the way a private company will, and help you figure out how to save a lot of money by caulking windows or using different kind of boiler, they get a profit, and they're allowed to use that profit to meet other obligations. So here's the social service agency saying that's our only way we could pay this old debt we had from the old group right. and pay, I think it was six, $7,000 a month to the agency on aging, and this was for Meals for Wheels. They did the right. Meals for Wheels program. And, they, and as you pointed out, just to explain a little more for our listeners, so... Th- Community Action Agency owed this other agency money for the Meals on Wheels from 12 or 13 years ago when the money wasn't spent that it was supposed to. They have to pay it back. There was a court order. You pay a certain amount a month. The only way they could pay that back was through the profits they get from the weatherization program, which unfortunately then can't get used for other things for the agency. And now the weatherization program's changed so that they couldn't make a profit anymore because the state has its own budget prizes. Right. And one thing you were talking about, so I spoke to the head of the AC on Aging, Ted Sir, and he said, look, we're the middleman. We would love to say you don't owe us the money, but we owe it then, as you said, to the State Department of Social Services. So it's up to them to say we forgive the debt and they won't do that. I think the, social, the Department of Social Services might have some concerns about whether Community Action AC is being run as well as they'd like or something. I'm not sure. I don't think they do. No. I think that they have confidence in the in the agency. Okay. So why aren't they forgiving a debt that was from 12 years ago? I don't know if it has something to do with the federal uh, rules. Oh, okay. Um, and, or not. I don't know. But, you know, like the state could have paid the debt when we when the state had money. I don't know. Now they'll probably And, say. you know, that's what it gets to me. So we <laughs> talked about the weeds here. Yeah. You know, what's being done locally. But, and I agree with Amos Smith about this, who runs the AC. This is really an example of what's happening with the squeeze on the poor. Yep. So as the federal and state governments cut money for the poor, programs like Community Action AC, just like cities like the one you run, don't have as much money to do what they were doing before. And a really subtle part of this is the checks get paid later. Mm -hmm. So you're hiring a whole bunch of people. He's got, I think, what, 56 people, you know, part and full time. That's not an exact number. It's a ballpark. And he's got to pay him, so they go do work. But mm-hmm. you're not going to get your check from the government from 30 or 40 days. But now it's longer because the state government has had these huge deficits, these budget crises. They didn't have a budget for a bunch of months. Right. And uh, they didn't get any money at all. So it is. I think that is the larger picture. I think this is how the difficulty rolls downhill, just to be polite for FCC rules. You know how to say and, that. And the other thing that, and, and I don't know all of this is that community action agencies across the state took over, but uh, there were a number of programs that were run by state employees that were then moved into the to community action agencies. Oh. And those programs, too, now are threatened. So, 
you and and you know i remember when we were debating this and saying well no you you move it into a to a, a not-for-profit agency what if they don't receive the funding what if there are problems uh and you know we were assured this would never happen and so here we are but they're mostly this is a magic bullet like we'll just cut state costs by sending it over to a not-for-profit beginning with that just means to try and not have unions so you're paying them less so that's one way to cut the cost Second of all, you're paying so much less, you might not get people who are skilled. The programs won't be run as well necessarily. I'm sure maybe they are here. And third of all, you're right. It doesn't become something that is protected the same way by a union contract. They could just cut it the next year. They can cut it, and you know, and, and, and maybe they just cut a little bit and a little bit, and it's a death by a 1,000 cuts. Or, as happened with this particular one, um, we weren't willing to do what was just most logical to to pay the debt. I mean, when you think about the um, dollars that we've given to companies who, who have um, never pay us back, and, you know, we're talking, you know, we're just, we're not talking a lot of money here. It's not like we're going to lose $10 million on this particular deal. And there was, from what I gather, a misunderstanding about how to uh, reimburse for the program. And so it was over-reimbursed, as I remember. I, it's, a, it's a little foggy, but... Um, the state could have said early on that this was problematic, but they let it go on for years. All right, and then they got to clean up the mess, which can cost a lot of money, too. We're going to yeah. say hello to Bob in a second, but early. first to remind you that you're listening to Mayor Monday with WNHH 103.5 FM, your home for community radio, live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. Bob, say hello to Bob in a second, but first early. to remind you that you're listening well, to we're Mayor Monday. There. Bob, how you doing? You're home for community radio. Okay, Paul. Hello, Mayor. How are you today? Hey, Bob. How are you? Okay. I wanted to jump in on your conversation about uh, the community action. Bob, how you doing? Is it the city now that gives them some money so they can open their doors temporarily? And what happens after that? Sure. For now, at least for this next week, yes, because they are one of our contractors and and we were able to fast track some money to them for them to sure. partially um, open it, for now at least for this next week yes because they are one of our contractors Bob? and Bob? Yeah. <laughs> we were able to fast track some money did you have I'm another sorry, question did you have another great did you have another and, question and, for the mayor there she and, said yes they fast track the money in, in my discussions bob with the uh, commissioner they're concerned uh, they know that they need to have an operation down here and uh, so they are thinking about what it is they can do to sort of put a band-aid on this particular problem and, and at least get the services out to the people who need the services. Because as I said earlier, the, um, a lot of the services that might have been done by the state previously, a lot of the um, weatherization mm-hmm. services, the uh, energy assistance services, and other related services are being provided by our community action agencies. And they and people who live here in this region still need those services. And the yeah, commissioner's that's a, that's a point. Yep. very aware of this, and, the, and so they've been trying to figure out, well, how do we keep things going? And what I've said to them is, uh, to the degree that we can be um, helpful, let us know, and we'll do whatever we can, but as you know, like everyone else in this particular time and space, we too are suffering from um, um, difficult financial times. So, uh, Mayor Harp, have you asked them to forgive that debt? I asked, uh, I spoke to Commissioner uh, Brimby, I think on Friday, and I said, uh, it, it seems like the most reasonable thing is to forgive the debt. Then he went on to tell me about this um, legal situation that they're in now, and he, he thought that was an impediment, so... Uh, we didn't get very far in that conversation. So, Bob, did you have any other questions for Mayor Hart? Yeah, I did. It's uh, it's regarding the uh, standardized uh, test that results that recently came out, and I was reading that some schools are doing better than others, and what can we do more, Mayor, about that? Well, you know, I think that one of the things we've been, uh, we spent most of the past year focused on getting a new superintendent, and um and so we have a new superintendent who's coming in March, and uh, and my hope is that the board will focus on teaching and learning and um, pr- try to provide the supports that are necessary for those schools that are not thriving um, to to do better and for us to look at. I, 
you know, when I looked at uh, the article and I saw the um, the reading on the math scores, as 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 I've always said, those are core skills that you're going to need no matter what, um, no matter whether you go to college, no matter whether you get some sort of trade, you're going to need those skills. Um, and so I'm hoping that we can focus on those skills you know, and move them. Booker T. Washington Academy, that's a charter on State Street. It's not like a typical charter with a lot of hedge fund people or like white people trying to save inner city people of color. It's like it was started by Varick. Mm-hmm. They've gotten all this great. What you were just talking about was basic reading skills and thinking. They've made this huge progress on that. They just got named School of Distinction for the whole state again. And I was talking to them about how do they do that. And we're going to look a little more at that. One thing they do, and I think there are places in New Haven that try to do this too in the public school system, is they very they don't test often as pressure tests. They do regular assessment to see how the kids are reading at a very young age, and they then see which groups are missing which part of the reading. Is it sounding mm-hmm. out certain words? Is it whole word stuff? Is it um, phonics? And then they break them out into small groups to work on that, then get them on the next hurdle. And they also combine from kindergarten and then the second, they combine both thinking critical thinking and reading skills and writing with the other subjects. So they start science pretty early, but it's very much incorporated with reading. Mm-hmm. And I've just been interested in what they're doing. They're, they're really throwing down there on State Street. Well, and I think that, that we can learn from all of that. Um, I I think that we can, but I also think that our, our board, from a policy point of view, has got to think that's more important than who gets the next job. Mm. Sorry. No, that's a good one. I think that's a great quote. Your quote last week was that I've been thinking about all week was when I said, what if Aaron Stewart runs against Susan Bicewitz for governor? You said you don't want to get in the middle of that one. (laughs) Your quote this week is more important how they read rather than who gets the next job. Bob, any other other questions? Yeah, I had one other question for the mayor. I like Bob's questions. I know she may not be able to comment about it, may not even have an answer, but it's about um, the murder of Tyreek Keyes. Uh, now that Archie Generoso has retired, you know, are the police still, you know, following up on leads and what's going on with that case, Mayor? Oh, absolutely, they still are. And the person um, who is taking Archie's place, I don't know if he's actually been sworn in yet. Thursday night. Um, I mean, Tuesday night. Tuesday. Um, is, uh, I guess he's Captain Johnson now. I don't know if maybe... He wasn't Lieutenant Herbie. Was he Lieutenant? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah Herbie Johnson. I know these, these the titles do matter. <laughs> they care a lot. You know? They do. Uh, forgive me, I forgot your title. I think but... he was Lieutenant, but I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, um, and uh, I have every confidence in, in him. He's somebody that is well thought of in communities as well as among the officers on New Haven. Well, he was in charge of the detective division. That's what he does now. Yeah. And now he's being made the assistant chief who, like Archie Generoso, who will be overseeing the detective division. So I think what you're saying is there's continuity. There's going to be continuity. And, and um, you know, look, I, I like everyone. I just loved Archie Generos, a, a great guy. Um, and I'm so sorry that he decided to retire, but everybody's entitled. He really put know? his years in. I think yeah. he put in something like 40 years in law enforcement or yeah. something. Yeah. He loved to work. Like, the big question is, what's he going to do in the morning? He was the first guy in there. I know. He well, just loved the work. He loved doing police work. He loved being with the you know the cops. They brought him out of retirement once, and he was there. I, know. I wonder if he's going to go to um, one of our. Well, long story short, I think that one of the things that he ought to do is to think about doing some consulting with us. We'd love to have him. All right. So, Bob, thanks for your calls, man. We had a little feedback at the All beginning, right. but we took care of Thank that. You. And the feedback you're getting is that you're listening to Mayor Monday on WNHH 103.5 FM live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. May Harp, last week was the first day of the session, of the general session, the state the state legislature, which is going to be a short session because it's election year. They don't have to pass a whole new budget, but they tweak the budget. And not as many bills get introduced. I'm telling you as though I know you were there for 21 <laughs> years. Um, what what did you think? Yeah, the, the governor gave his first big speech about how he wants to have a, a fairness society in this session, which is not usually the off year. The off year is usually tweaking the budget, right? Yeah, well, usually uh, that kind of speech is in January, then the budget speech is in, in February. But since everything starts in February, and this was his last speech uh, before the General Assembly, he's not running again. Um, I think he wanted to talk more about policy, and um, and so and so th- that's that's what he did. Was he looking a little toward his legacy? Because he was, he was burnishing, and I think he really deserves credit for what he's done with immigration, oh, for absolutely. criminal justice reform. I think that took guts. 
Yep. You know, my theory always about people in public office like yourself is that you want to do a lot, but if you do one big thing every term, you've done something. Right. And that it's hard to make things happen in government. And really that he hard. did make a lot of, uh, there's still more to go from social reform, especially around parole and bonds, but uh, bond reform. But he, he really moved the needle on that. We've got a lot of people out of jail and out in the community. Absolutely. And, he, and uh, you know, crime is down. Crime is down. And he, uh, and I think with immigration, he's taking a strong stand. Do you think he was looking to say, here's my legacy? Or do you think he's saying what he's going to do next on the national stage? I think he, I think he might have been saying a, a little of both. But uh, definitely, here's my legacy. I'm proud of it. And um, it wouldn't have happened without my leadership. And, and he's right. So you were the only Democrat I saw who expressed any reservations about the speech. I know. I you got said, in trouble. <laughs> well, I was wondering, did you? So what you said, I thought you had a good point. He's talking about fairness about this, fairness about that. The real fairness issue on the table this short session, the one that we're going to live and die by, is aid the cities yeah. to cut back at a time where obviously there's a budget crisis, but of which, unlike New Haven, some other cities are on the brink. What, uh, what, what was the I reaction? I mean, honestly, you know, I, I, well. What was the reaction to that statement? You said well, you know, I, I don't think the administration was happy with me. Um, so I, I got some feedback uh, letting me know that. Long story short, you know, um, it was his moment, and uh, perhaps I shouldn't have um, been so quick to to sort of look at our urban areas and say. Um, but if you don't, who's gonna? Well, I guess no one else you're would not because I was governor. the only one. Who well, did. you're running. You're not running for governor. The, the mayor of of the other two major cities is running for governor, and even yeah. though he's an unpopular governor, it's not a smart idea to get in his crosshairs. You like him, and you two have had a good relationship. I do like him. Isn't it important for the person who has that relationship, as opposed to the one who just takes shots at him and is looking for mileage, to well, say, "Let's not leave"? How, how could you not have said, "Where were cities in this whole conversation?" Well, one of the things that I had hoped, because it's never been the governor, and as I have uh, explained, it's never been the governor who's misunderstood the role of cities in Connecticut. It's always been the legislature. I thought it would have been a really great time to point out to the suburban-driven legislature that cities are really important and that, frankly, you couldn't be what you are without us. Right, and we start to hear that from the <laughs> candidates on the trail. And um, I, and and I perhaps could have said it some other time, but at any rate, I, I, it's really true. You know, like you, you have this sense that that some of the legislative leaders who are not from cities and not the ones that are the elected leaders, but on some of these these committees uh, that that uh, make decisions or are part of the three or four that are more conservative in the Senate. In the Democratic uh, Party. In the Democratic Party. Um, resent the fact that our cities are small and need state help. And they feel like their little towns are in competition with us. Absolutely not. I mean, the truth of the matter is if we didn't provide everything that we provide for the workers who work here in New Haven, who happen to live in other places then um, it would not be the kind of place that would be growing the way that it is in terms of... And we're going to the hospital or if they go to right, culture right. life or whatever, and they tell us we can't tax 54% of our property. That's that, a state rule. That's a state rule. And, and they haven't fully funded their promise of 70% of payments of lieu in taxes. They haven't, and, and whatever it is that we get, uh, you know, in all honesty, many members of the General Assembly are very resentful of. It's a real, you know, and I experienced it firsthand. And so I had... I think that it's a mistake. You know, I know that, that in, in the newspaper today they were saying, oh, it's the union workers that are creating the problems. No, the problem of our state is that we think we can have 169 towns, um, only four or five of which are of any size, and uh, have the kind of economy that will attract the kind of um, businesses and workers that we have today, and and if we don't think of ourselves, and you know I've said this a thousand times, as more of a county and the state taking on responsibility for some of these costs that need to be um, handled across broader areas, then you're forcing cities to do it. You're forcing us to act like counties, and we don't have the resources. We can't do it. 
I can't do it with um, 54% of, of our property tax being off the rolls. I absolutely can't do it. Hartford can't do it. It's our state capital. Uh, Waterbury can't do it. Their mill rate is even higher than ours. Um, Stanford is struggles. You know, Norwalk struggles with the education system. Listen, um, it's troubling, but then you go to the General Assembly that is suburban um, dominated, and they have to deliver for the, the district that they represent and really forget about the fact that when they do that at the expense of the state, it harms us all. All right. Well, Peanut Gallery says, if you hadn't said it last week, there was no point in saying it because that's when it was heard. <laughs> okay. Um, and, you know, you, you have, you've been scaring the stuff at home, too. There was a meeting last, was it Wednesday or Tuesday, in the Ninth Square, where there's just concerns about what's happening in that district. Ninth Square is one of our great success stories. Right. When you were in Alder, actually, back when they called it Alder Women and Alder Men, Mm-hmm. You worked on a deal to create the Nice Square, right? Which is one of our original nine when we were the first planned city in the mm-hmm. 1600s. One of the first squares was the 1600s or 1700s. One of the first squares outside, um, you know, off the green. So the Nice Square is of Chapel Street, below Chapel Street, between State, MLK Boulevard, and Church. And it was a historic district that was a ghost town and run down. Mm-hmm. And it was developer came in with a lot of city help that created to this great district. We have mixed income where it works. You have wealthy people and people on public assistance in the same buildings and you have great nightlife and it's just a great place to live and hang out. And now 20 years later, um, the company that has been running most of the apartments over 500 of them no is, has a lot of debt. It can't pay the millions need to upgrade the apartments. The place is being sold. We've had a few setbacks. Um, we had a big plan you inherited to, on the old Coliseum site, which is now just years later not happening. Mm-hmm. You have some businesses that have closed up. You have some empty storefronts. It's kind of a cyclical thing, I think. And then uh, at Art Space, which is one of the anchors there, one of the galleries, great place, one of the people got harassed by one of the, I guess there are a lot of people there with opioid addiction from all over the state who catch buses in that district for the mm-hmm. connections to go to the methadone clinics who came in and harassed one of the people there. And they had a meeting about what's going to happen to try to get the nice square back on track. Any thoughts? Well, you know, I think that one of the things that we're working on, uh, not the city per se, although we do have an opinion, is um, the selling of of the Knight Square. Meaning the 500 and uh, some uh, 540 apartments in several of the major buildings. And so uh, it's uh, CHFA that is, Connecticut Housing Finance Administration. Right, that um, has an RFP out, and um, a number of developers um, are have bid upon um, to be selected to, to take over that property. So who's in the bidding? Um, you know, I think that there is, well, you know, of course our housing authority is. Oh, that's right, because our housing authority has an Lindauer, arm, yeah. has a development arm, that'd be great. And uh, they're, they're doing it with another development company, so uh, that's one that, that we sent a list of, and I don't remember all of the things that we wanted to, to assure. We wanted to make sure that the affordability remained in... Um, in other words, it's mixed income. Mixed income in the development. We wanted to, we were interested in um, taking the parking lot over there for Park New Haven. Um, and... Um, you mean where we're going to build the Coliseum? No, the no, there's a little parking lot right there, right on um, Brown? Orange Street. Is it yeah. orange? Yeah, orange. Um, and um, we would like to have that. <laughs> um, and we wanted to make sure that, you know, like that the commercial mix was still uh, was still strong. And um, from what I gather, um, certainly the um, Glendower um, proposal met all of our, our needs. But so did a number of others, and so um, we are not the final decision makers. Right, because the they hold the debt, the state. Um, the state does. Um, I mean, part of it is that we also wanted to be repaid because back then um, when we did that development, it needed all kinds of uh, subsidies. So there was subsidy from Yale, subsidy from the city, subsidy from the state. And Yale said no more now, right? Yeah, and so Yale's being paid back from my understanding. And so... Um, so, and CHFA, of course, they represent the state. They also uh, were sub, 
they subsidized. And so I'm sure they're going to look at our list of demands as well as their needs, too, to be reimbursed for as much as possible for um, for the, for what they've put into this project. Well, my understanding is one of your big demands to the state is that they could keep it affordable, as you said. In other words, have some subsidized housing. And what they came back with was, are you going to preserve a tax break? So the bill, so there was a, I believe it was a 20-year tax break. You were an alder when this got approved. That got mm-hmm. phased in. When someone builds something that now doesn't produce a lot of tax revenue, we let them gradually get their full tax bill saying you're creating a lot of new value to help you afford to do it. The first year you'll pay, you know, 10% of the taxes, then 20. And I believe you have told the state, from my understanding, from your development administration and from CHFA, that you will let the new owner have that tax break again to keep it affordable. Yeah, I think for us, keeping it affordable is really... Taisha Walker, the president, says Mm -hmm. you agreed with that. I think keeping it affordable is the most important thing that we can do. Right. Uh, Because honestly, um, it probably could be a, a project given the kind of apartments that we're seeing built downtown that could um, become fully unsubsidized. So you're talking about gentrification vampires? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, so we're, we're trying to guard against that. Yeah. Okay. So what do you use against, is it garlic? What, what keeps vampires away? <laughs> so your tax break will be the garlic. Right. It was also read aloud day last week. Right. So leading up to Read Aloud Day, the world does this. There are cities around the world. And New Haven does it big. We do all these events at every school. Right. And leading up to it, so grown-ups come in and read to the kids. They have guests. Or sometimes it's like they had the Hill House basketball team last year came in, read mm-hmm. to the younger kids. And leading up to it, they have a reading challenge in each right. school, the K-8 schools. And they read 95,852 books were read in the couple of months before um Read Aloud Day. Any thoughts on the day? Because you've talked about making New Haven the city that reads. Right. Oh, it was great. I went over to uh, Moral Sheridan. Okay. And I got to read to the class who read the most books in that particular time. And They earned to sit down with the mayor. They, they, they got to hear me read. Um, but what was really great about it was all of the kids in the lower grades came out with, you know, I, they'd done some pictures, I guess, of books that they'd read, and they made a... They made a, a victory um, line on each side with kids, and the and the um, and the and the class that won, it got to run through the victory line. <laughs> well, all of the kids cheered them on. It was so much fun. That sounds great. <laughs> and what did you read? Uh, you know, I've forgotten. Don't ask me. But it was a great book. <laughs> <laughs> I love reading the little kids. I know they're so much fun. And, um, and so another thing, let's see what else is going on last week was skate. Oh, there's another great thing that's been happening is every time our reporters go to cover these events every few months, they get this buzz about how great government and community can work together. In Edgewood Park, there's a skate park, mm-hmm. which is sort of where people on somewhat the margins of society hang out, right? And do the whole skateboard culture. That's a little bit of an old trope, but that's been going on for 20 years. The place got run down. The city didn't cost a lot. They put around 70,000 aside this year. There's going to be a second pot to make it a nice park again. And, the city planners spent all those months hanging out with the kids and some of the older people who are skateboard freaks, and they helped design that place. Yeah. And they really liked the design that came up with it. And last week, they brought back the final approved one. And that's what always gets my reporters when they go there, when they see these kind of, of, kind of you know, alternative kids there with these kind of grown-ups in their suits and Becky Bombera runs the Parks Department, all pouring over these charts and diagrams and saying how they like it to work. They gave the suggestions. And last week, what they talked about is they okayed the final one they're about to, they're gonna when the weather warms up they're gonna build it and they're gonna work with the kids they enlisted the young people to go out and pick the weeds and um not just the weeds what was it the uh yeah i guess the weeds are gonna do a heavy weed removal so they can actually build it and also protect the riverbed and everything over there well isn't that great though then that makes them feel a real sense of ownership not only do they get to design it but they get to help uh prepare it for being Oh. Yeah, yeah, and I just love how, you know, we always hear about how there's fights because people have strong opinions, which we like. It's democracy. Yeah. You just have to have your armor on every week when you're in it. But, you know, <laughs> but but it, it does make things better when everybody yeah. does work together. And I do feel like when you combine management teams and neighbor groups and something like this, that we do have a certain level of democracy. We don't have a lot of it in contested elections every few years, you know, like mm-hmm. you had one this year. You didn't have one the one before. John Stafford had about every eight or nine years, every eight, 10 years, he had this election. He would argue that that's when the people were ready to talk about a big issue. But we do have it at a grassroots way when we discuss development, what we build, and the policy. I think, I don't know what you think. I well, think it's pretty alive a, here. It's not just that. I mean, it's almost every single little thing. Um, 
than our management teams and other groups. Um, they have an, an opinion. And, you know, the really great thing about New Haven is people pay attention. Yeah, and often it makes it better, even though it takes a little longer. Yeah, and I think it's worth it. And, and you know, what they say about people is the degree to which you're socially engaged, then that just gives you a better life. You live longer. I mean, it's a, uh-huh. it's a more pleasant community. And it makes a city better. Like, you know, yeah. Doug Ray, our mutual friend, is a political science at Yale scientist. He calls it civic density. Oh, it's a wonky okay. term, but it's like, it basically to me, civic density is the deltas. It's like if you have sororities, fraternities, bowling leagues, churches and mosques and, and uh, management teams and synagogues, just where people get out of their house and do stuff and care. Right. So partly it's just fun. And that's important too. Mm-hmm. People just go out and have fun together. Or like fraternities and sororities, they go out and they help the community, you know, do service. Right. Or they go to management teams and bitch. It's like, you know, I, I just think that that's civic density. And they say that's what makes a community stronger. People feel a stake in it. Right. They care about it. And then they take better care of it. And the decisions are better. No, absolutely. So that makes me think. So like, for instance, this is proposal Q River, Kumpikak River, that we wrote about on Friday, which is very interesting. Juan Salas Romero. Mm-hmm. Romero, he's, um, he's one of the best builders in town, I think, because he doesn't do the upscale. He doesn't do the public housing. He does the middle. Mm-hmm. And he did it, you know, by the old, um, he fixed up by the old Cardinals Club. And he's mm-hmm. all over town. He's got hundreds and hundreds of units. They want to build by the Quinnipiac River on the east side, mm-hmm. on the Fairhaven Heights side, where there's a little more of an acre right by the river with some of the best views in New Haven. It really is beautiful there. It is. Um, but halfway up the where the bridge is and then around on East Grand. Mm-hmm. And Joel Cervoni, one of our developers, who did a great job downtown. He tried to do that about 10 years ago. He's going to mm-hmm. call it Quinnipiac River Village, and it never happened. So Juan Salsamero and Noel Petra, they have NHR properties. They have a plan now to make a whole development there right by the river. They want to have, and we always love mixed use in New Haven, they want to have storefronts. There's been this great debate, again, you know, mm-hmm. on the independent about will a coffee shop work or not? Everybody wants a coffee shop, but coffee shop didn't work there before. Well, if there's parking, will it work? Well, if it's good coffee, you know, and, <laughs> and um, talking about a lot of apartments there, 68 apartments, some local stores, and he wants to gear it toward the teacher or the firefighter, the, the uh, middle range income. Right. What do you think about that plan? Because that's going to need, it's not going to need any money from you guys. It will need site plan approval and things like sure. that. I think it's a great idea. I love it over there. It's beautiful. And uh, there have been some restaurants over there that I liked going to that didn't quite make it. And I remember watching the, I used to go some of those too. You watched the sunset on the water. Yeah, it's very it's nice. It's really nice. And so I think that whoever gets to live there, and it's great that it's going to be middle income, um, will live in a beautiful place. And I guess some of the neighbors worry because they don't want low income. Right. Which you might say that's good or bad. I think it depends mm. on who runs it. But they're saying, you know, just be, it, the law doesn't stop them if it doesn't work. Because, you know, Fair, that part of Fairhaven built so many condos in the 80s. Right. And those were supposed to be for wealthier to upper middle class people. And a lot of them went bankrupt and they mm-hmm. went to working class people to middle class. And in some cases, a little farther back on Hemingway Avenue, some of them turned into Section 8 and some became crack dens. Oh, I didn't know that. But along the river, they stayed pretty solid middle class, working class. And I think that was a success. I think so. I think it's okay I, to I let the market. To, yeah. yeah determine that's yeah. what that's what america is as long as government right? as long as government does its job of regulating make sure they follow the rules absolutely i agree with you all right well i think we should remind them to listen to mayor monday in the final <laughs> moments here tom has a question how can the city work with local oh we just talked about this um about nice square work with local right. business owners to help keep the nice square vibrant affordable accessible safe you talked about having a good input on the core apartments 535 right. whatever it is mm-hmm. who buys them next any other thoughts in it well, you know, I think that one of the things that we've got to be um, helpful to whoever um, owns those buildings to make sure that the the retail is there, because I think that was one of the concerns that I heard from some of the people over there, that a number of the the retail establishments had moved out. Um, and so uh, I think that once it's purchased, um, and I think working with Town Green, working with our development office, we can certainly help make sure that we reinstitute some of the retail that is there it's still very vibrant though and there's still is retail there's fornarelli's there's oh, um, there's, Natural, yeah. there's art space there's scapo there's cafe nine there's oh, firehouse 12 but there only, are th- only stores. three places left but people are getting nervous and they and they, and they don't there know are cycles yeah. yeah they don't know what's happening so i i understand that and so. they talk about a block watch forming your lieutenant o'neill who's the um, mm-hmm. district manager said he'd do that you talked last week about looking at changing where bus connections are made for people going to the methadone clinics, right. where it actually would help them too. When I talked more after the show, your transportation guy, Doug House, and he said 
there are people coming in from Eastern Shoreline who go to Route 80 at Walmart that it sometimes makes sense where they're going to go next to go there instead of all the way downtown and somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So that could work. Another question here, there's a new movie Gorm Bashar's working on about the history of New Haven of pizza, beets, you know, pizza. Oh, yeah, that sounds What's exciting. your favorite? Mod- he says modern Sally's or Peppies. People have a lot of others, too. What there are. You know, I always say it's Ernie's. You know, you got to try Ernie's now. I know it's... Only- I like Ernie's, but do you really think it's as good as the brick oven? Uh, you know, I don't even know if I know the brick oven. No, no, no. Meaning like the brick oven pizza on on, on Worcester Square or Modern or, uh, or, or I actually bar. like it better. I because it has kind of an interesting little crunch. It is good, Ernie's. <laughs> People really swear by Ernie's. I don't know. I do. Family. And you know, honestly, uh, and the other thing that they do is that they do some um, local kinds of things. So like uh, when t- local tomatoes are are um, ripe. They do tomato and basil that only Ooh. they do. It is so good. It's really good. Oh, it's good. So, you know, <laughs> vegans like me, we're all happy about Delania because they have all this vegan pizza. Oh, okay. That's quite good. And they do brick oven. But yes, that was a good question. And the other question you had was, do you think MGM really wants to build a casino on Bridgeport or is this just gamesmanship to protect their investment in Springfield? Let me explain that to the listener. So New Haven and Bridgeport, you and the unions and the elected officials in both towns have come out big to try to support a plan by MGM to build a casino in Bridgeport. And what that involved in this session of legislature is to pass a bill that basically undoes an agreement with an Indian tribe, a Native mm-hmm. American tribe, to build a casino in East Windsor, and that that make it a competition so that Bridgeport has a chance to compete. The argument against is that that undoes a longstanding, I think, 20-year-old agreement we have with Native American tribes. We lose $200 million a year in revenue we get from the slot machines there. The Bridgeport people are claiming it'll bring a billion dollars a year, which may or may not be true if they get going because look at the New York market. And some people have said, is is MGM just using its money to try to get politicians in labor to claim they want to have a bill to get a competitive casino, but they don't really want to build in Bridgeport. What they really want to do, according to this theory, is to stop the tribes from building in East Windsor so that that casino does not compete with the casino MGM is building in Springfield, Mass, right over the line. Do you think you're being used? The basic question is, do you think you're being used? Well, the real, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's one of those kind of things where, you know, a, a, the proof is in the pudding, you know, like either we are or we aren't. Um, but um, the, the, what we do know is that the Indian gaming revenue from, um, you know, our current tribes is going down. It's going, it's, it's less than half of what it, it was at its height and that it will continue to go down. Um, even probably with this new um, this new casino there, in um, yeah. my because I asked that question too. I mean, I did ask the people from from uh, MGM, and they said that their that their strategy is to have multiple um, to have multiple resort type casinos uh, in uh, the within range. They think that the market for Springfield and the market for Bridgeport would be, this is what they said, would be very different. I think they're right. I mean, you're talking about New York when you're talking about Bridgeport, Yeah, right? and that's basically what they said. They're, they're going after the New York market. They think that the Springfield market would be, you know, like uh, that area maybe, um, and, and Boston's getting its own, so it wouldn't even be Boston, but it would be that area, and that people who are from New York are not going to drive all the way up to Springfield to go to a Springfield casino. They think that they, that if they have it there, they'll get, um, and I forgot about the fact that they have a way to go to Long Island from, um, uh, from Bridgeport, but they're going to get that as well as, um, as well as New York traffic. And, uh, and that that's their strategy. They reminded me that they have nine casinos in Las Vegas. Mm. And there are many more so they there. So they believe in a cluster uh, strategy. Uh, that's, that's what they said. And we would get the training facility here. In, right. I know that's in, been the big promise here is that we'll get to train people for jobs to go work at the Bridgeport Casino. Right. And so I, I couldn't say no to that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You can say no to that. Well, can you say no to the new Delaney's proposal? They want to build on the vacant lot on Central Avenue in Whaley. Everyone in the neighbor saying, yes, they need a zoning change to do it. Again, they don't need money from the city because this right. is our new world. Remember, Tony Harp, when you were in Alder, we used to have to pay people to come to the city. We don't have to pay them anymore. But we sometimes have to change zoning rules, which I think most of us think need to be changed anyway right, for density right. and parking. So what the neighbor said is, yes, we want this so bad. We'll let this developer 
get our support for zoning change to build a new, and I like that it has a lot of apartments. Right. Over the rebuild Delaney's that perished in the fire four years ago. Mm-hmm. But everyone hates that design. They love the one for East uh, Grand Avenue right. and the Heights. Everyone just hates this design. I don't really have opinions on design the same way. You study design. Did you have thoughts on this? Well, I mean, I can understand why they don't particularly like it. I, it doesn't really go with the Looks neighborhood. Looks like Suburban Strip Mall. Yeah. It's basically a developer area as well. That's what he's done up in the Hartford area and stuff. That's yeah. kind of Suburban Strip Mall. And hopefully he'll pay some attention to that and try to make it look a little bit more like the community. But, you know, think about Westville. It's a really old commercial area if you think about it. And it and it's it's so um, unique. And so I, 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 I don't blame them for being a little unhappy with that. It, it looks like, it would look like it was just sort of plopped mm-hmm. <laughs> there. And maybe there's a way to have it look a little bit more like uh, the surrounding. But we didn't part. bring up the most fun part of your week last week. What was that? Cast Iron Heaven. <laughs> oh, yes. There's a new steakhouse so on State Street. And the part I love about this really <laughs> funny guy, uh, Tilly Marini, just loves cast iron cooking. Oh, he's so, so he has, good. He has hundreds of cast iron pans. He was showing them all to our reporter. Uh-huh. And he heats it up to 550 degrees. And everyone watch him make your steak. And he puts the potatoes right in the pan. Right. He brings it to your table and he swears it stays warm for 20 minutes so you can relax, talk, and eat right out of the pan. Yep. No, it's, uh, and the, the food is phenomenal. It is because, see, I can't eat, so I can't tell you, was it? Oh, it was wonderful. Absolutely. So you had some steak. I had some steak, but he also, I asked him for um, Brussels sprouts. Ooh. Oh my God, they were fun. I love grilled Brussels sprouts. Yeah, they were good. Well, did everything in that, 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 that cast iron skillet. It was, it was phenomenal. So you, you take a lot of abuse being mayor, but you also go to eat the first steak out of the pan. Yeah. So it has its rewards. It, it does. <laughs> well, thanks for rewarding us with your presence today on Mayor Monday. It's always great to check in with you and start the week. Anything coming up this week we should know about? Uh, I can't give anything off the top of my head, but uh, we'll no talk about it. secrets you want to reveal? Or? No, we'll talk about them on Monday. All right. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us on Mayor Monday. Thanks to Birch and Moses PC and Gateway Community College for providing financial support for today's show. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass reminding us all that we do know what it feels like to be free. We just have to book our flight. Book your flight and fly free with us all day and all night long here at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.